This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Ladies, we are discussing today the ninth blessing of the Shemona Esri of the 18 blessings. And this ninth blessing is the blessing for... Money. For money. Parnasah. Oh, very important. It's a very important blessing. But it's only number nine. It just shows on the list of priorities, God's priorities, money is number nine. Wow, that's amazing. I like number nine. Yeah. So a person already prayed for deliverance from distress. We prayed for being healthy. We prayed for everything else, our brains. And now we come to the prayer for money. Parnasa. person needs parnasa. We all need parnasa, which is money. Financial security. So in those days, financial security came through rain. When it rained, thank God this year Israel is having a very good year. Very, very good year of rain. The Knesset, the Knesset, not the Knesset, the Knesset is going up and the Knesset, the Knesset is going down. Well, okay. <laughs> the Knesset is going up. The Knesset hasn't been working. So it's a, it's a prayer for Parnassah. Rain is Parnassah. People have to thank God for rain. Thank God. In a place where there's no rain, there's drought. In a place where there's too much rain, there is... Floods. Floods. Oh, boy. We don't want floods and we don't want drought. We want the combination. So there's a beautiful story in the Talmud. The Talmud says a story about... Choni Hamagel. Have you heard of Choni Hamagel? Yeah. Choni, the circle drawer. Right. I that. So the Gemara says this was the time period about 100 BCE. More, a bit more, maybe 120 BCE. 100 BCE, and it was a time where there was still a Beit Hamikdash. There was still a temple, and there was a tremendous drought in Israel. There was no water. There was no rain, and people dying. There was a famine. So they tell Choni Hamagel, who was the sage at that time. And he says he drew, a, he drew a circle and he stood inside the circle. He says, Hashem, I'm not leaving this circle unless it still rains. Chutzpah the man had. So the chief rabbi said, if he wasn't Choni Amagel, I would have put him in Kherim right now. I would have excommunicated him. <laughs> you don't talk to God like that. You don't say, you don't demand from God, if you don't do this, I'm going to start. Well, Kari, who are you? Who are you to give God ultimatums? We can't give God ultimatums. He gives us ultimatums. So who are you, Choni oh, Okay, you're the only one who can get away with it. You can get away with it because you are Choni You are God's beloved. God loves you. And God, I'm not leaving the circle until it rains. And God says, okay. It'll rain. So it started dripping. Little bits of rain. So God, he said, I, don't, I didn't pray for this war. I, I want real rain. So, so straight away, it pours. Oh, so the heavens open and toss, pouring and pouring. So God, he says... I didn't pray for this rain. I prayed for rain of blessing, of bracha. And then it became normal rain. And that's what we pray for. We pray for bl- rains of blessing. So sometimes a person can be very, very wealthy, but it could be a curse. And a person can be poor, and it could be a blessing. So how do your children come out? A person who's rich, maybe the children come out spoiled brats. And they'll have their funds, and they'll be on drugs, and all sorts of things. So a person prays for money, we've got to pray for money for a blessing. It's got to be money for a blessing, not just money. We don't want money. We want money for a blessing. They'll lead to good things, right? So that's some money, which is lead for good things. That's a very, very important rule. We learn from Chani Amal We don't pray for too much. We don't pray for too little. Just what you think, Hashem. A person should always pray. This is is a one-liner that everyone should write down. A person should pray to God. Give me whatever's good for me. Make it purposely for me. So uh, that's a very, very important idea. Whatever I pray for, it should be good for me. 
Whatever I pray for, only if it's good for me. Hashem, give me things only if it's good for me. I'm praying for money. Give it to me if it's good for me. I'm praying for, I know, I want a, I want a house in Florida. I don't. Honestly, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> only if it's good for me. I want a house in Yerushalayim. Only if it's good for me. Bezrat Hashem. So these, a person should always pray. Hashem should always answer my prayers if it's good for me. Whatever's good for me should come. I don't, want to, I don't want to answer my prayer if it's bad for me. Only God knows what's good for us, not what's bad for us. Sometimes God gives us because we ask for something. So yeah, now you see what you like it. The kid asks for something. You give him, buy him something. He says, but I didn't want this. But you asked for it. So Hashem is like that. Hashem says, you asked for it, I'll give it to you. But maybe you don't need it. Maybe you don't want it. Maybe you want something else. So we always have to ask for things which are good for us. Very, very important rule. So we ask for blessing. Let over. Everything should be for good. So if there is waste management and corruption, oh, waste, sorry, waste mismanagement and corruption, which happens today, so with all the blessing, there's scarcity. Because people are putting things in their pockets. Right? You go to Iraq. Iraq is blessed with oil. And the people are paupers. Why? Because the government is stealing, obviously. They're stealing everything. The people on the top are stealing. The guys are siphoning things off. Literally siphoning the oil off. And so it's amazing. Places like Nigeria also. Very, very wealthy country. Lots of oil. And yet the government and who else? Whoever, all these people involved. All the middlemen are all stealing the oil. They're stealing the riches for the people. So you have countries like that where they're corrupt. America is corrupt as well. There's no question about it. How do you know? Because look at the debt. National debt. Right. The national debt is in the trillions. And, you know, every American owes, I don't know, $45,000. Each one of us owes. If you go by the national debt, divide by the amount. It's amazing. So it's corrupt. It's definitely a corrupt society. We're living beyond our means. Everyone's living beyond their means. They're borrowing. So America is also. It looks very good, but it's living beyond their means. If the bubble bursts, it's going to be a disaster. Well, hopefully the bubble will never burst. Um, <laughs> if the bubble bursts, we're all a problem. <laughs> but you know what the joke is? The joke is on the guys who are lending us money. That's a joke. When the bubble bursts, they don't get paid back. The Chinese and the Japanese, we owe the money to them. So, anyway, I'm not here to discuss American politics, but I'm just telling you <laughs> that it uh, it really is a stinker. It really is a stinker. The national debt is a disaster. Anyway, that's for macroeconomics. Okay. So the sages said, thousands of years ago, in Sota 49b, they talked about the curse of inflation. We talked about it a little bit last week. There's a curse of inflation. People don't realize the curse of inflation. I lived through inflation. You lived through inflation? Had a grandma, I told my aunt, she was very, very wealthy, and later on she lost all her wealth. I said, how did she lose her wealth? And the answer is her money was in bank accounts, and the inflation rate went sky high, and she lost everything. Very simple. Her money was worthless. Right. So the Gemara talks about it in Sota, the end of Sota. It says it's one of the signs of Mashiach. Inflation is well, one of the signs of Imagine in those days talking about inflation. Amazing. They knew about inflation. So there's great abundance, but we can't afford it. There's no use. We want goodness. We want abundance and goodness. Now there's another problem that is using our riches and, and using it against God. Vaishman, Yeshurun, Vaivat. And Yishirun will get fat. Hopefully not. (laughs) And kick Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses says at the end of the Torah, he says the the Jews will get fat. What does it mean they get fat? They get rich Rich. and and everything's going well and then they'll kick God. When did we serve idols? When everything was going well. 
When everything's going well, the Jewish people served idols. I mean, hard to imagine. But in those days, we, it was a pagan society. We don't really realize, we have to appreciate that we are the only nation in the world who believed in one God mm-hmm. through all the paganism. Can you imagine, that's about 1,500 years the Jews were alone in the world. The only monotheistic religion in the world was Judaism. So the Christians came along, that's not really monotheistic, it's Trinity. But it's better than paganism. And then the next case, 600 years later, came Muslims. But before that, for 2,600 years, they were alone in the world believing one God, who's invisible, all-powerful, not a body, not a thing. Amazing, amazing. How do they keep that belief? Um, it was really, without, uh, without being bending to peer pressure of the pagans, it was really amazing. Miracle, it's a miracle. So we're God's people. But sometimes we did, you know, we did people went in and out. They were pagans, they were not pagans, they came back. We always came back to God. We always came back to God. So we want God's blessing to be good for us in the short term, but also in the long term. Sometimes things are good for your person in the short term, and, uh, but they're not good in the long term. We want both. We want a good long term, we want a good short term, and uh, we don't have, have riches that's going to destroy us morally. Because the worst thing is to be morally bankrupt. So there's, there's wealth and there's morals. Some people are wealthy, but they're, not, they're bankrupt morally. That means there's a rot inside. If I look at all these great empires, why did all the great empires rot from within? And the answer is they all became immoral. <laughs> look at the big empires. Uh, Greece, disgusting. Rome, Aye. disgusting. And you, you go to the games over there in the, uh, what's it called? The Gladiators. Huh? Colosseum. The Colosseum. You know, people don't realize the Colosseum was built by Jews. Jews. Why? Because they destroyed, Titus destroyed the temple, took all the gold and all the slaves, sent them to Rome, and they were used to build, the money was used to build the Colosseum. The Jews were used to build the Colosseum. People don't realize that. And then they were thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. So think about it. That, that was the corruptness of Rome. But can you imagine Hashem, look what Hashem did to us. He took our temple and destroyed it. He says, you guys are not really serving me with your hearts. You're just going... Could you talk slow? Come closer, come closer. You, ju- you guys are not really serving me with your hearts. You are serving me with... No, I'm going to sit, I'm going to sit next to you. Your money? Your money. Or? Oh. You're going through the motions. You're really acting. You're play acting with me. I don't I like actors. So, therefore, Hashem smashed our temple. Imagine, it's terrible. Think about it. And instead of the temple, we got a Colosseum. Imagine, it's hard to... What a... A disaster. Really disaster. So a, a person's going to say, thank God, give me money, but I'm, I'm going to guarantee I'm, I'm going to serve you. Even with all the money, I'm not going to rebel against you. Because money is one of the biggest temptations to be immoral. Because mm-hmm. a person says, now i got money, i got food, i got money, now what? Oh, there's other things in the world. I can play around, I can fool around. No. So it's a danger of blessing. The blessing can push a person over the edge, morally. Cause them to be bankrupt. To cause their children to go astray. So again, so what's the use of having all this physical benefits when a person is corrupt. And what's the use of having physical benefits when children become corrupt? So that's why a person has got to live, when they leave a will, two wills, not one will. One is a financial will, one is a spiritual will. (coughs) Write down your values you want your children to keep. These are my values. This is what I believe in. I want you to look after my values. Values are very, very important. People don't really pass down their values to their children. We have to pass down our values to our children. So it's very important to write these things down for the next generation. This way, when they get the will, they say, hey, it's not just money, it's also values. Mm-hmm. I don't have the values, my children's values. So we think, you know, we know that God knows what's good for us, not just short term, but also long term. And we have to believe we, that God knows 
what's good for us, both in the long term and the short term. And therefore, it's good that we pray long term, not just short term. It's a little bit of musical chairs. It's nice. It wakes everyone up. So uh, please don't get insulted. Okay. So there's musical chairs. Okay. So uh, Hashem knows what's good for us. And therefore, we always put the word letovah. Give us not just short-term goodness. Give us also long-term goodness. Very important to have long-term goodness as well. And that's why we add this word in the, in the, uh, in the prayer, letovah, for goodness. And also in Aleinu, we talk about letovah. We ask for goodness as well. So the great stress Judaism places on being happy, we discussed a bit last week, we said we don't pray for happiness. There's no prayer on a daily basis for happiness. There is on Shabbat, and there is on Yom Tov. Right? But on, on a daily basis, we don't pray for happiness. Why? We pray for the means to become happy. But happiness is a free will decision that we have to make. So we wake up in the morning. We have to wake up in the morning with a positive attitude. No one's going to make us positive. No one can make you happy. There's something we have to teach our children. The children expect everything for the parents to make us happy. No, I can't make you happy. I'm going to tell your kid. I can't make you happy. Only you can choose to be happy. It's a free will decision. I can give you everything else. I can make you secure, safe, comfortable. I can make you have full of food, but I can't make you happy. That's your choice. But we pray for Panasa Yes, Panasa, yes. Panasa is a God can give you money, but he can't make you happy. There are many people today. You can have Panasa not be happy. That's true. Right. There's millions of Americans in America who are very, very depressed. People don't really realize. I think there's 25,000 people commit suicide a year. And for every 25,000, there's another two who fail. So about 75,000 people try and commit suicide every year. 25,000 people are successful. Is that success? <laughs> so uh, a person's going to learn to be happy. We have to choose to be happy. And it's something which people don't know. Society does not know that it's happiness up to us. No one else can make you happy. Happiness is a free... I can choose to be miserable... And I can choose to be happy. I can choose to be angry, and I can choose to be happy. Happy. I can choose to be angry, and I can be, choose to be what's the opposite of anger? Passive. I can choose to be at peace with myself. And that's what we pray for every day. Where is it in this on Shabbos? The one for happiness. Why do you ask hard questions? Can we miss it or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, you said something. I have to. Samacheni b'shuatecha. You know where it is? Make us rejoice with your salvation. Oh. Okay. <coughs> Let's okay. see inside. That's right. enough. Why should I talk? <laughs> that did it. <laughs> you asked me. I'm going to answer. You're going to find it. every day. <laughs> you say it. We don't say every day because we don't pray for happiness every day. We pray for what should make us happy. Imagine. I give you health. I give you wealth. I give you this. It's not happy. What's, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Take us up with joy to your house, to your uh, land. <laughs> Nice. Very nice. Let's go up to Hashem to a land with joy. Boy, beautiful. Thank so, Shabbat. Sure. <laughs> no, that's, that's on Shabbat. Okay. So, it's important to serve God with joy. It's important to do a mitzvah with joy. But we don't ask for joy on Shabbat. We ask for joy in festivals. We pray for joy. On the festival, we say, please, Hashem. Make our souls rejoice. It's interesting. The body doesn't rejoice. It's what's within your personality or your soul rejoices. The feelings are in the mind. But it's not really 
your body rejoices. So there's, there's a spiritual quantity. The mind is a spiritual quantity. The brains are in the, the, the souls are in the mind. So, we want to be happy with your salvation, Hashem. Yeah, amazing. The founding fathers of America included pursuit of happiness in the Bill of Rights. Right? But, you know what? We're free to pursue happiness. But it doesn't say you get the happiness. Everyone's running after happiness. But it seems like the more you run after it, the more it disappears. Right? And the bottom line is, it's a free will decision. Ezu Ashir, Mishnah said, who is rich? A person who's happy with what they have. You've got to be contented. Riches is contentment. A person who has everything and is not contented has nothing. That is the lesson of Purim. The lesson of Purim and the lesson of Breshit. Adam, Adam, Adam Yishon, the first man. Adam, was he happy? Was he happy? No. He had the whole world to himself. He had the most beautiful woman in the world because... She was made to measure. The only beautiful. The only <laughs> says every time he came home late, every time Adam came home late, she would count his ribs. <laughs> so that was a joke. That was a joke. Not true. It's not true. But he had everything. He had everything and he had nothing. Why? Because he desired more. If you have everything, you desire something you don't have. It's tragic. Same thing with Haman. Haman had everything. Only one thing he didn't have. Mordechai did not bow down to him. Ooh. Mordechai the Jew did not bow down to him. You know what that meant? He mm-hmm. says... That's, that's just weird. He says, what does he say? Just slip my mind. Quickly. I can't remember. Gosh. <laughs> old age. It's called old age. <laughs> it's a senior moment. I had a senior moment. <laughs> okay. So he says, uh, whatever he says. Abraham uh, says, listen, I have everything. When I remember that Jew Mordechai sitting over there, not Velokam Velozai, I came back to me. Velokam Velozai Mimenu. He says he doesn't even get up a little bit to, see, to give me honor. Why should he? <laughs> Whatever I have is worth nothing, he says. Terrible lines. Imagine he has everything. Whatever I have is worth zero. There are people like that. Disaster. Disaster. It's very sad. So, what do we see from there? Happiness in your mind. If you're content, you're happy. That is wealth. Wealth is what you're content. If you're not content, <coughs> King Solomon, you can't beat King Solomon's wisdom. He says, A person who loves silver will not, never have enough silver. Never enough. It's never enough. You have 100, you want 200. You want 200, you have 300. 400, 500. Doesn't, it's never enough. A person who loves money will never be satisfied. So we have to learn the art of satisfaction. satisfaction. Where do we learn the art of satisfaction from? Where, where does the Torah give us a vehicle to earn the art of satisfaction? Let's go. After each day... I'll give you a clue. We just had it yesterday. Shabbat. Shabbat is the key to satisfaction. Because on Shabbat... You, so can you imagine a person's... What is your frame of mind when you enter Shabbat? The answer is a person's got to feel as if everything is done. Right. All the work of my week is done. I've done everything. Now is the time to enjoy, enjoy, relax, be with the family, be spiritual, be with God, be with the family. It's very, very key. People forget that key of Shabbat. The key of Shabbat is to get into the mode of simcha, of rejoicing. The Benish Chai asked the question. He says, why by Shabbat doesn't mention happiness? The Torah does not say to be happy on Shabbat. It says, onig. 
You will, what's Onik Shabbat? Pleasure. You'll have pleasure on Shabbat. Don't say happiness, it's pleasure. Whereas on Yom Tov it says, You'll be happy at your festival. Why is the festival dedicated for happiness and Shabbat is dedicated for pleasure? What's the difference? So he says on the festivals, people don't like it. You know why they don't like it? Number one is it's lots of work. Pesach, forget about it. Right? Right? A lot of work. Number one is a lot of work. Number two is a lot of money. Number three is I gotta take a vacation in the middle of my week. It breaks my whole week. So people are very depressed in the festival. So Hashem says, Happy. You have to train yourself. Be happy. Even when you're spending money, even when you're missing work, you have to be happy. It's amazing. On Shabbat, you don't feel like you're missing anything. It's great. Because all the six days now it has a purpose. The six days of the work week that I worked so hard now come to culmination on Shabbat. It's a culmination event. And therefore now I can see I work so hard but I'm seeing some fruits. Can you imagine a person working so hard, never seeing fruits? Never sees the fruits of their labors. It's one day you get to see your kids come home and they, they tell you that you're getting your yeshiva tuition payback. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to learn to be happy. It's an art. We have to decide to be happy. We have to get into a habit of happiness. It's a very, very important habit of happiness. What, what causes a habit of happiness? And this is very, very important. This is the key was in yesterday's parasha. Who was here yesterday? Oh, only one person. Wow. Yesterday's parasha. And the key of yesterday's parasha was gratitude. Two people. Sorry, Rose, sorry. Gratitude. Gratitude for what? It's Moshe Rabbeinu. For everything. Moses, the great Moses. The first plague is the plague of? Blood. Dumb. Blood. He turns the river Nile into blood. Did he do it? No. Why? Why Aaron? Why not Moses? Because the, the river saved his life. Did the river save his life? The river saves? Does the river do anything? It's inanimate object. Number two. Plague number two. It's for them. Frogs. frogs. Who made them? Who made the frogs? <laughs> Who did the action? Aaron again. Why not Moses? Why not Moses? Because the river saved his life. And he couldn't make the frogs come out of the river. Number three. Kinim. Kinim. I'm glad you're sitting here. It's good. <laughs> Kinim is lice. Who made the lice? Aaron. 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 What did he do? No, that was that was uh, that was boils. Oh, that's right. He hit the the, the, the Egyptian. And he hit the the ground. Why did Moses do it? Because the Egyptian. Because the ground hid the Egyptian and he was saved, and therefore he owed the ground a favor. Come on, you owe ground a favor. Come on, it's a very strange concept of. It's called Hakaratatov, an attitude of gratitude. Anything that helps you in your life, you owe gratitude to. So now, instead of thinking about me, what, what I get, what I get, what I get, think about other people who I owe, I owe, I owe. It's a different system of thinking. And a person can say, you know what, I'm happy what I have, but I owe favors to other people. My mother, my father. I mean, we can't even imagine what debts we owe to our parents. We can't even think about it. It's hard to imagine. Hard to imagine, really. But the attitude of gratitude is based, is the foundation for happiness. If you can grow up with the attitude that no one owes me anything. Because everyone grows up, they want, this guy owes me, this guy owes me, this guy owes me, this guy owes me. And that's why I'm not happy, because everyone owes me. But if you think of how much you owe other people, it's a wow, that's happy. So it's a total reverse of how people think. And that's why people are not happy today. Because a person's got to be content with what you have and owe other people. They, they don't owe me anything. No one owes me anything. 
No one, and now, and we come to another thing, which is a very, I was thinking about today, because I'm working on myself as well. You cannot let other people, what other people do, affect your mood. Because then they become your boss. They become your, they press your triggers, and they know how to press your triggers, that means they are in charge of you. They're controlling you. If you let other people control you, that means you're not in control. You've lost, if someone else can make you sad, you lost your control. If someone else can make you unhappy, you lost your control. If someone else can make you angry, you definitely lost your control. So control is the key. Control one's emotion. That's what the Torah is telling us. I'm going to give you a system where you learn how to control yourself. What is the system called? It's called mitzvot. Because there's, there's 365 negative don'ts. Oh boy. Oh boy. 365 things you can't do. Oh, that's... How do I control myself? Well, that's what the Torah is trying to teach you. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I want to control. I don't want to control myself. I want to, I want to just let loose. Well, you can't. Oh, that's rough. I want to eat what I want. I want to eat whenever I want. I want to eat whatever I do. What I, I want to eat. Come on, look at China now. They eat whatever they want. It's a disaster. <laughs> a person can't eat whatever they want. A person can't eat uh, things which are unhygienic, and they got you know they're eating all these animals that I don't know. And that came back to bite them. The animal came back to bite them. So the, now we move on. Let's move on. So very important. We don't pray for happiness. Why? I'm going to jump this in because today is a big failing today is people are not happy. And why are people not happy? We have everything. We're living better than 99% of the world or 90, 98% or 90% of the world. We're living better over here than 90% of the world population. And they are happy and we're not. You cross the border to Mexico, everyone's happy. <laughs> and then they think they're going to be happy when they come here. Mistake! Te- seven years later... They got the same mental issues as the Americans. Why is that? And the answer is because in Mexico, if you have a little piece of bread, you're happy. In America, you have a piece of bread. <laughs> I want the gold. <laughs> so it's a totally different way of looking at life. And that's why South Americans are very happy. North Americans, miserable. Very strange. And they want to come here. I don't know why. Is it? And so we always think the gold is somewhere else. We always think that is where, what is the story? Grass is greener. Oh, yeah, yeah. People are never happy. That's the trouble. We're never happy. You're never content. Uh, you know, one of the most happiest people in my life was my father-in-law. Because I was his son-in-law. No, no. <laughs> He's a happy man. He says, I'm content. I'm not moving. I'm in Yushalayim. I live in a house in Yushalayim. I got a house in Yushalayim. Not moving. I'm staying here all my life. I'm going to die here. This is my house. My, this is my utopia. He reached utopia and he was content and thank God he was a lucky man. He was a happy man. Had a beautiful wife, lovely children, really. Beautiful family. So he was content and that's the way a person should be. And we should all be in that situation. So a person prays for money, yes. But money, the main thing is not money. The main thing is to be content with what you have. And that's the secret. Okay, number 10. Now we come to messianic prayers. You ready for the messianic prayers? Number one, number ten. This is number ten. What is number ten? The ingathering of the exiles. Please, oh God, blow the shofar. Four hour? In gathering of the exiles. That's amazing. The national aspirations of Jewish people. Two thousand years in exile, we've been praying the same prayer. And God answer us. And all of a sudden, 1948, he answered us. Amazing. He answered us. We heard the big sound of the shofar. It wasn't really a shofar, but it was a sound over the radio waves. 
the state of Israel was declared. Amazing miracle. Amazing miracle. After 2,000 years, imagine. Think of who, which other nation in the world can be revived after 2,000 years. It's like the, the vision of Ezekiel. The valley of the bones in Dura. The valley of Dura. The bones of the dead people. And, and God asked Ezekiel the prophet, he says, do you think the bones can live? He's very smart. Ezekiel gave a great answer. He says, if you want them to, Hashem, nothing. So sure enough, he saw the bones come alive. All the sinews and the muscles. Imagine what kind of gory detail is seeing all everything come together and everything come together. All of a sudden they stand up and they. So there's a whole big discussion. The Gemara, did these, were they real people? The Gemara of the opinion says yes, and they had, I knew their grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> so it's amazing. That's the. It's really a parable. Now the people of Israel will come alive again 2,000 years later. Imagine. When the whole world said we're dead, that's when we came alive. When the whole world said we kill them, that's when we came alive. It's like the phoenix comes alive again. So we came alive again. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Just look at Yerushalayim. 75 years from Auschwitz. All the world leaders came to Yerushalayim. It's a, who would believe such? I would never believe it. I don't believe it. So in gathering this puzzle, right, you go to Yerushalayim today. Every single language under the sun, every single race under the sun is there. Jews. I got yellow Jews, black Jews, white Jews, brown Jews, every color you want. Shuffle the deck. Spanish Jews, uh, South Americans, uh, French Jews. I can't, I can't count them. What you go? And they're all there. They're all getting, somehow they get along. I don't know how they get along. And the Russian Jews, forget the Russian Jews, and Ethiopian Jews. We are witnessing today in gathering the exiles. We are the lucky generation. We are witnessing kibbutz galiyot every single day. You go to Israel, you go to the airport, you say, who are these guys? And then you go and you see the non-Jews coming to Israel. Uh-huh. They go to the Kotel, you see the Chinese over there, click, 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 click. The Koreans, <laughs> South Koreans, they love Israel. Why do they love Israel? They want to be like Israel, they want to be rich. <laughs> Everyone thinks Jews are rich. But the Koreans are very smart. They're very smart. They say, no, it's the brains that make them rich. What gives the Jews brains? Guess what they said? The Torah gives the Jews brains. They say that? Yes, they say that. And they're learning Torah. The biggest place they're learning Torah is, is South Korea. Because they figured out. They figured out our secret. Something with the Israelis, you know, there's a beautiful TV program. You see the South Koreans coming. And they take the cameras to uh, Panovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak. It's a big yeshiva, massive yeshiva over there. They're learning Torah. And you see the crew coming from South Korea going straight to the yeshiva, Panovich Yeshiva. And there's a secular Israeli cameraman over there. Can't believe his eyes. He says, "What do you want to go here for? Come to the high tech." He says, "You don't understand." He, South Korean is telling the Israeli cameraman. <laughs> he is says, this "True, true. It's on the video. Go see it. YouTube. Go look it up. South Korean TV going to Israel. He's taking a video in Panovich Yeshiva saying, and he's telling the Israeli cameraman saying, "What are you talking about? Why are you coming here? Go to high tech. I'll take you to Intel. I'll take you to uh, Microsoft. I'll take you to where all the other companies, Google, and all the other companies in Israel." Say so, no, he says, you don't understand. This is your secret. The Torah is our secret of our brains. Secret? Thousands of years, it's a secret. People don't realize that. Thousands of years of learning Torah, people don't realize. Why are the best lawyers Jewish? Because the Torah is law. Right. Every Jew has to be a lawyer. Every Jew has to be a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. Well, do I look like a lawyer? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you do. You're wearing a suit. <laughs> That's not a very expensive suit. Come on. It's not very expensive. Come on, I'm not a lawyer. You know the joke about a lawyer? i got to tell you the joke about a lawyer. The lawyer is driving his fancy Porsche. And he opened his door, car door. And the car came and smashed oh, it. Oh, yeah. He calls the police. He's crying on the voice. 
My Porsche, my Porsche. Okay, so we're sending a man, we're going to send a uh, police, police comes along. And then the man's crying, my Porsche, my brand new Porsche, it's $300,000. He says, so he says, your hand. He says, where's your hand? God, your hand got knocked off. Says, oh gosh, my Rolex. <laughs> How do I get to that? But Jewish law is Jewish law. Halakha is Jewish law. We're all lawyers. You can't, that's why you can't tell a Jew anything. They argue back. You read the Talmud, the first line is the question. Question, answer, question, answer, knockout, knockout. Just as an aside, my daughter went to the University of Chicago Law School and had a very hard time there and wanted to quit. And I said, don't quit. She says, but I'm not like the others who do well. They all went to yeshiva. That's right. It's true. Really? It's true. Absolutely it's true. true. The yeshiva brains are, hard, are sharp. The Torah makes your brain sharp. That's one of the advantages of learning Torah, is it sharpens your brains. And that's why you see these great rabbis, they don't have Alzheimer's. 104 years old, shape sharp as a whistle. Uh, Rav Yashiv dies 104 years old. His brain is sharp as a whistle. Guys, guys, they're of, uh, they all died late. Now, I can't imagine why. Because number one is they don't eat well. Number two is they don't exercise. And they live at 104 years old. The brain is sharp like a whistle. And it's a Torah. There's no question about it. So we have to realize the secret. Our secret. What is our secret? Our secret is the Bible, the Torah. The Talmud. Talmud really is, uh, you've got to be sharp. You can't be, you know. If you're not sharp, you don't win. Very simple. Can you imagine? So we're talking about the ingathering of the exiles, and Hashem says, I'm going to gather you back. You can imagine Moshe Rabbeinu writing this, uh, how many years ago was it? God, I forgot. 3,400 years ago. 3,400 years ago, Moshe Rabbeinu writes in the Torah, Hashem says, I'm going to scatter you in the four corners of the world. I'm going to bring you back. So today we, we saw the scattering. Now we're seeing the yeah, witnesses. Amazing, amazing. We are a lucky generation. I keep saying we're the lucky generation. We have to really feel it. I mean, it's hard to imagine. After thousands of years of exile, we're finally going home. Finally going home. You know, I was at the Turkish restaurant. We had a Shabbaton two weeks, two weeks ago, right, three weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And the guy says, Rabbi Sam, he's a non-Jew. He's not Jew. I was in the Turkish restaurant. And the guy, he's, he's Turkish. Right. He says, Rabbi, he says, why are you leaving? People want you to stay. I said, I'm going home. He said, oh, I also want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I woke him up. I know that's a good idea. He's going to close the restaurant now. <laughs> I also want to go home. Okay. <laughs> we all want to go home. Let's go home. So the ingathering, the exiles. And uh, it's a physical ingathering. And it's also a spiritual ingathering, which is unfortunate. The unfortunate thing is there's so many Jews, not just far away from Israel, but also maybe in Israel as well, but far away from their heritage. There's Jews, there's two kinds of exile. There's the physical exile, and there's also a spiritual exile. And that's the bigger threat. The bigger threat is the spiritual exile, because then there's assimilation, there's intermarriage, that's gone. Jews are gone. Within three generations, how many people today say, my grandfather's a Jew, my grandmother's a Jew? And what are you? Don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Don't know when. So that's one of the problems in America today. It's the biggest problem in America because we're losing people. People are coming in. I, I, I look at Judaism as two escalators. One escalator is going up, and one escalator is going down. <clears throat> unfortunately. So there's people coming into Judaism and people leaving Judaism. People becoming religious and people losing their religion. Escalators. So we've got to make sure we're always on the 
Pathwood. Let me ask you a story. Let me ask you a, a, a riddle. Two Jews on two ladders. One is going up the ladder on the second rung of the ladder going up, and the other one is on the the second top ladder going down. Which one is higher spiritually? The one going up or the one going down? The one going up. The one going up, even though he's on a high place, he's going down. It's not good. For a Jew to go down, it just a vicious cycle just goes phew, down the chute. That's why it's very it's called a slippery slope. Not to be too lenient. It's called a slippery slope. Let me give you an example. The conservative movement allowed driving to synagogue. They thought that's going to increase people in the synagogue. You think it increased people in the synagogue? No. What happened? They the drive everywhere. Yeah. If I can drive to synagogue, I can drive everywhere. So by being, it's a slippery slope. It's a very important. There's a beautiful Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein asks, he says, can a person do drugs? For example, nothing hard. I'll just do a little bit of, what do you call it? Marijuana. Marijuana, just a smoker. So it's legal in states now. You go, where you can you go? I don't even know where you, where you can go. Soon you'll be in New Jersey. So you go and have a smoke and that's it. It's allowed. So he says, you know what? There's not really nothing wrong with it, but it's a slipping slope. First you'll have this, and then you have this, and then you have this, and you have this, and before that, it person will be a drug addict. Right. So can you imagine? That's, that's wisdom. Ezu hacham, who is wise? Come on, guys. Haroet hanolad. You can see further. You can see the future. That's a smart person. Person has got to be smart enough to know if I do this, what are the ramifications? People don't think long term; they think short term. I want it. I want it now. I want to have instant gratification. What about the long term? Where is it going to lead you to? So that is the problem. So they have two major schools of thoughts on the ways and means of redemption, and uh, in fact, it's, it's based on two different prophecies. Mashiach is coming on a donkey. Or he's coming in the clouds. <laughs> Zechariah and Daniel, the two prophets. One says he's coming on the clouds, and one says he's going to come on a donkey. Right? Who said what? I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> Why do you ask me hard questions? So, I think it's Daniel. Daniel said he's coming on a, on a cloud, and Zechariah said he's coming on a donkey. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not. Don't quote me, okay? Just say this. One, just, okay, just, just quote me. Say, the rabbi said, one prophet says he's coming on the clouds, and one prophet says he's coming on a donkey. That's what you need to remember. Okay. Okay, so listen, ask the rabbi. We're asking me. I don't know, rabbi. <laughs> so anyway, so what does that mean? So one who says, the Quran says, one who says coming in the clouds means he's going to come in miracles. In a miraculous fashion. Just like coming out of Egypt. You think coming out of Egypt was, was miraculous? It's going to be ten times as great. It's going to be plagues and it's going to be, I don't know what. Ten times as much. You know, the frogs in Egypt were tiny compared to the frogs we're going to see in the future. That's according to what opinion? The second opinion says he's going to come on a donkey. What's a like donkey? Else. In a natural yeah. way. Right. On a natural right. way, which we're seeing today, unfortunately. We're not, we're not worthy of seeing the miracles. So we're getting, at the, we're getting the Mashiach on the donkey. We're getting the Mashiach on the donkey. He's coming on the, I don't know what they drive in Israel, on a donkey. What donkey they use? Volkswagen, I don't know. They use a Mercedes or whatever they're, they're donkeys. Okay. That's what we see today. Unfortunately, that's what we see today. So. Every mitzvah we do, we have to really imagine this. Now, that, so they, they destroyed our temple. And there's two different opinions. The Rambam says the temple is going to be built by the Mashiach. Right? In the Messianic time, one of the jobs, we have to really discuss this. Okay, maybe next week. We're going to discuss the Mashiach. Because there's a lot of fallacies, a lot of misconceptions. It's oh, a good idea? Yeah. You'll come? 
<laughs> Hope he comes. Hope we won't have to talk about it. He'll be here already. Say, I am the Mashiach. I'll give the class. We're waiting. Okay, so Mashiach. So he, there's two ways. So one way can be through miracles, which we didn't. Unfortunately, we didn't see the miracles. We are seeing. What are we seeing? Uh, natural miracles. I call them natural miracles because they really are miracles. In fact, the Jews are going back to Israel today. So, natural miracle. We've seen the wings of eagles. Isaiah says, you're going to come back on the wings of eagles. So we're waiting for the birds to come take off on our back? No. No, we have airplanes. How does a guy thousands of years ago describe an airplane? Isaiah sees an airplane. What does he think? What does he say? How do you describe it to us? It's an eagle. It's a massive bird. I see a massive bird. So when the birds went to Yemen to pick up the Jews of Yemen, the Jews of Yemen said, we know. This is how we're going to go back to Israel. It says in the Torah. On the wing. We're going to go back on the wings of eagles. It's very fascinating. You look at the story. They couldn't find a single airline to take them out. The Israeli government was looking for airlines. Who's going to take them out? We don't have the planes. The Israelis never have the planes. Guess which airline? Alaska Airlines. <laughs> Imagine, it's uh, wild. Alaska Airlines flew to Yemen to take Jews to Israel. <laughs> it's a miracle. That's another miracle. Why would Alaska Airlines do huh? Find out. Go look it up. Look it up for me. Yeah, bring it next week. Print it out for me next week. <laughs> this is one of the miracles of amazing. One of the miracles. Alaska Airlines. Imagine it was a tiny little airline. Brought the Yemeni Jews to Israel. Brought the Yemeni Jews to Israel. The Yemeni Jews to Israel. The Yemeni Jews were not. Imagine they're sitting on the floor in the plane. They never had seats because you had to cram them in. Imagine they're sitting on a plane. You think it's bad enough? United Airlines. Imagine an airline with no seats. And they're sitting on the plane, and they want to light a little fire. They were cold. <laughs> <laughs> so the stewardess had to tell them, no, 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 no. <laughs> but it's cold, the cold in here. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's wild. It's a wild story. It's a wild story. <laughs> so we are looking for two returns. We're looking for a physical return to Israel, and we're also looking for a spiritual return. Ve'heshiv lev avot al-banim. Ve'lev banim al-avotam. Who said that? Okay, look it up. <laughs> I will bring back the fathers to their sons and the sons to the fathers. That's talking about the end of days. That's a, that's a prophecy of the Messianic era. The Jews will come back to the heritage. We're waiting to see. Sometimes the parents are lost and the children found the heritage. Mm-hmm. So now the parents have to come back to their children. And sometimes the children have to come back to their parents, which is usually the case. But we should see that. We're, getting, we're seeing that today. You have Tshuva, you have the parents. The child did Baal Tshuva over here, and then the, son became, the father became Baal Tshuva over there. Rabbi, yes. is it just a spiritual return, or also a physical return? Both. Both. We need both. But some people are really there, but they're not spiritual. Some people are not there, and they're not physical. Or, you know, they're not there physically. They're there spiritually. They're in Muncie. <laughs> they're in uh, Borough Park. Lakewood. Lakewood. They're in Highland Park, New Jersey. They're all over, but we need a physical return. A spiritual return is not enough. We need both. So, that, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, next week. Uh, let's continue a little bit. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.